0: Thank you for tuning in to a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy! Well, good morning. Welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron and I'm the pastor here. Uh, You're in for a one-hour service with a mission to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. Uh, Our goal here is to do what any good Christian church should do, which is to help you connect with God in a worshipful way, but then help you grow in your relationship with Him at the same time. Our style may just be a little different than what you're used to or maybe different than other churches in the area, but we're still true to the Bible and we take God very seriously here. Uh, This week, we're continuing our series that we've been calling, Teach Us to Pray, and uh, this is actually a direct quote from Jesus' disciples. They say, Lord, teach us to pray. It's in Luke 11, 1, Uh, and this is actually Jesus' followers literally saying this to Jesus after they see him have this vibrant prioritization prioritize life set on praying to God the Father, one that they see like heals people, individuals, Uh, one that directs his life, one that moves Jesus to doing the miraculous, and one that moved him to expanding God's kingdom. And the disciples are like, uh, I feel like we're missing something here. I feel like we're missing something because that is not happening with us. We want to experience all those things you're experiencing, Jesus, yet we don't have what you have. Teach us Teach us to pray. We want what you have going on. I want to ask you, have you ever felt like that before about prayer? Have you ever felt like I hear, I see, or I read about how prayer should be this vibrant thing, fulfilling, powerful, and you're like even seeing people experience it in amazing ways, yet you feel like you're not. You're not at that point. Like Like you're in the midst of something, you're struggling, you want God to answer, and you're praying, but you feel like you're getting crickets from him. I know I've been there at times personally. Um, I was reflecting, reflecting on some of my prayers uh, like recently. My prayers in the past, I've, I was realizing that I had a majority of what I like to describe as only defensive prayers to God. Uh, like when something happens to me, that's when I would approach God. Uh, it can be on the minuscule level all the way up to like big things. Like the minuscule things, I, w- I was thinking about this one. Uh, I have a daughter, Eliza. She's one. Uh, when there's a diaper change coming up. I'm praying for a number one, not a number two. Whereas an offensive prayer, right? An offensive prayer would probably be, I hope mom gets all the number twos, right? That would be an offensive prayer. Silly, I know. Um, But defensive prayer is like, when your body's achy, you're like, please God, help me get out of bed. Like, I can feel my body ache. That that was me this weekend, I slept in a tent this weekend. Um, Where it should have been like, God, please don't let camping wreck me this upcoming weekend. Make sure my body is still able to move. Or even like for me when I'm writing a sermon uh, and I get stuck at different points, I'm like, should I pray about this? And then I'm like, wait, have I even prayed about this at all? And I like come to this realization of like, huh, I'm being defensive, not offensive about it. Or times I'm so stressed. And finally, I'm like, help me through this, God. I should have been praying ahead of time. Or times I'm like, no, it's not supposed to happen that way. Help me get through this. I should have prayed ahead of time. I'm always reactive or defensive with my prayers. And to be honest, I don't think God minds those reactive prayers or defensive prayers. Scripture even says in Psalms 34, 17, it says, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. He helps us. He hears us. But today, today we're studying a time where people are proactive or on the offense with prayer. This week, we're actually looking at a time where the disciples, they learned how to pray from Jesus. Just like we did a few weeks ago, we learned the same way they learned through the Lord's Prayer. And in today's situation, they finally get to experience all the things Jesus did, right? That they saw and they were like, wow, that's so amazing. They get to experience this on their own, as in without Jesus, physically present, they experience miracles, they experience being together on this one core vision, they impact thousands of people and they're forever changed through their experience of prayer. I don't know about you, but I want that. I want that for myself, I want that for our church, I want that for my life. How about you? I wanna experience all the miraculous in life circumstances. I wanna be aligned with others on a common goal and bringing forth God's ways. I wanna impact thousands and I wanna be changed for good forever. And more than just praying for number ones, body aches, or stress. Again, how about you? Are your prayers generally defensive? As in praying about things that are already a bit behind you? Or do you want to see God do the miraculous in your life? Like in your family's life, in your marriage, in your health, in your work, with the friends you're trying to reach? Do you want God's ways to change things for you forever in a positive way? If you can answer yes to any of those questions, then today's study on prayer is for you. Today's key component of how we see prayer be this powerful thing happen is so simple, but one that I think is worth talking about today. And what it is, is the followers of Jesus, they prayed together in an upper room. Now, before we dig into scripture, I wanna clarify something. When I say upper room, your mind probably goes all over the place. You're like, Whoa, well, it's kind of a church word. What? What is he talking about? Maybe for you, you think penthouse. You're like, upper room is a penthouse. Maybe you think scary attic. That's, that's an upper room. Maybe you think a high place with a high view. Or you think a place that's maybe separate from a crowd even. That was totally me. Um, I love when people have upper rooms like, where they have like great views like in their house. Even though like, sometimes when people are like, hey, come on up to our upper room or this room where there's this sweet view. And you're like, this is sketchy. I've been there, especially there's actually a couple here that's done that for me, and it freaked me out a little bit. Um, anyways, um, I love when people have their upper, their bathrooms in an upper room or a separate room, right? You don't want the bathroom next to the living room. No one wants that. So I love it when it's in a separate room. Um, but the one upper room concept that I think relates to the biblical idea of an upper room that comes to mind is this... The few experiences I've had in Mexico, actually. When I was wrapping up college, I did some student teaching. That was my initial degree is education. I did my student teaching in Mexico. It was awesome. I love Mexican food. I love the culture. I love the lifestyle and so much more. Side note, I have a little note on my iPad here. I'm working on getting us a taco truck in September because I love tacos that much. So be excited about that in our event that we have coming up. But, anyways, they're in Mexico, there are these black markets, I like to call them, or these supermarkets, that are just like store after store after store after store, and they're all just piled of stuff. Well, I was a single dude at the time. I was just browsing, passing time, being a student teacher. But the issue when you start browsing and just passing time with no timeline or agenda is you look slowly and then you get called out, right? They look like they, th- they think you're like really into something. So they start calling me out, like, Hoven! te gusta, which means like, young man, do you like? And then I'd be like, yeah. (laughs) And then he'd be like, tengo más aquí, like I have more over here, Then, And uh, I'm like, all right, come on over here, like I have more in here. I'm like, ooh, more? (laughs) This sounds good. And I would be like looking at jerseys or coffee cups or ceramic pots. And at first I was like, ooh, more. But then you start to realize there are these other rooms to like this place, at least this was my experience, this other room separate where the good deals go down, right? So the good deals go down, and I'm sure other sketchier things go down in these rooms, but for me, the good deals of like getting a jersey or, or multiple ones was where it was gonna happen. And like, I'm in this separate room and they're trying to crush the deal. Like, how about 10 for one deal? You know, like it, it, they're, they're trying to, to seal the deal and, trust and crush the deal. Now, the reason I tell you this story I think it relates because I don't want you to go into like a sketchy room randomly to find good deals. Don't do that. That's not why I'm telling you this. But because I think the upper room concept, a room or place that is separate from everything else to give maybe a small group of people a different experience is important to not only us, but to God. What if the concept of an upper room, which literally was an upstairs room in biblical times, uh, it was used for entertaining, but what if that concept of a separate room, a separate place, or even a separate time where praying for others was intentional, what if that's what's important? Praying in a place or time where we give God first-class treatment, what if praying in a place with others is that important? What if praying to God to be on the offense for things in our world is that important? Well, that's where we see amazing things happen with prayer in the Bible. If you're familiar with the Bible, there are a number of times people go to an upper room for things, uh, for prayer on the miraculous. Jesus heals people in, in upper rooms. Um, but there's this one specific time that happens in the book of Acts, and it's the one we're gonna look at today. And people are praying in this upper room, this group of people, and something big happens. A little thing, you, a little bit you need to know about Acts before we go into it is Acts is a shift in the New Testament of, of the Bible times. Uh, it's a book describing the time After Jesus leaves earth, he ascends to heaven, and Jesus leaves earth, and he is basically commissioning commissioning all his followers to go out, tell others about me. Um, The book of Acts, it's written by the same person who wrote the book, Luke. So it's pretty close to a close-hand experience or first-hand account. And its intention of the book of Acts is to explain how the message of Jesus spread so quickly and how the church exploded. Well, the situation we're looking at starts with Jesus about to leave after he just died, came back to life, and was living with his followers again. And Jesus was with his followers, and he says this, I'm leaving, and everyone's like, whoa, what? We need you here still. Like, don't leave. We, we still need you here. We got things for you to do here with us. When are you coming back to make things right forever? We want you here permanently for everyone. In Acts 17 he says this, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but he says, something better is coming. He says, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says, the Holy Spirit, or this part of God that is everywhere, that when you become a Christian, it prompts you and guides you, it's going to come to you. It will be with you whether you feel it in the moment or not. I imagine the disciples are like, hmm, interesting. I'm a little skeptical, but we'd prefer you hear Jesus, right? That's kind of what I'm thinking the disciples are like, we don't really want you to leave still. We don't really understand this whole concept. Well, Jesus leaves. And it says the followers then, in Acts 1.12, they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, uh, Matthew, James, Simon, and Judas. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. All these people are going up into the upper room. They're all sticking together. It even says this group is actually about uh, 120 people, is what the verse says in verse 15 of Acts 1. Uh, Well, they're all together. And when this day of Pentecost comes, and Pentecost, what it was, was a Jewish festival where all all these Jews would come together and they would celebrate. When the day of Pentecost comes, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It's getting a bit trippy here, right? Like, whoa, what? Like, tongues, fire? Whoa! All right. Now, what they're doing though if I break it down for us, is they're praying in an upper room. They're praying in an upper room and all of a sudden things happen. Did violent wind come and fire separate people like in the movie, like way, like like you know, something like explodes? I guess maybe, right? Maybe that definitely could happen. What I do know is something super intense happened. Something super intense and powerful happened for these people in that moment. And the author of Luke, and the author of Acts is trying to describe it and trying to show that it's this amazing thing. This amazing thing that these people start speaking in other languages. As the A in that, in that passage, it also is translated as languages instead of tongues. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, these, these people, uh, and as this happens in Jerusalem, Jews from every nation are together, again, for this festival, the, this festival of Pentecost. And what it was, it was it's this feast where people shared their first fruits. And they're coming from all different tribes and areas all together. But these people, they weren't Jesus followers. They were Jews. This is, this is again, right after Jesus left. They don't know about Jesus yet. Well, it continues in Acts. It says, When they heard this sound, this thing happening to this, this upper room people, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all th- these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? It then lists tons of different people from all different nations, all different tribes, coming together to, to celebrate. And, and they're hearing their native tongue be spoken about Jesus. They're saying, we hear them speaking wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? People are blown away. Some even try to explain it away and discredit it. They, this is the next verse, it says this. I think they've had too much wine. They've had too much wine. Side note on this, like this is just my opinion, I've spent my fair share with some people who have had too much to drink, and never once was I like, he's speaking French. (laughs) Never once, right? He's speaking French or Spanish, like what? Craziness. And then my buddy, like, it's not like he's like, yeah, that happens sometimes to Johnny, you know, it just comes out of him. Like what? That never happens. But what happens is Jesus teaches, or, or Peter teaches about Jesus. People hear about Jesus in their own language. People witness it all, and people become Christians. It says, those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. About 3,000 in all. The miraculous happens. This account is one where we see miraculous, big, and noteworthy things happen. It's one where followers of Jesus, they got together, they prayed They waited and they followed through on God's promptings and giant things happened. It's amazing and I think there's some clear examples of things we can do and use from this account to not only grow God's kingdom, but to have giant things happen in our individual and communal lives, like in our families, in our workplaces, in our friendships, in our communities, in our ministries, in our marriages, because honestly, Aren't there things you want God to bless in those areas? Aren't there dreams you have? Wouldn't, be it, wouldn't it be amazing if God, like, led it and blessed it through the miraculous? So what was so special about the situation, and how can we replicate this? With well, studying this passage and, and learning more and more about what upper rooms looked like and, and what group prayer looked like, I believe there's four things this group of praying Christians did that I think we can replicate together to both be on the offense and experience what God has to offer. The first one is this, it, it was an attempt to encounter. What these people were doing in this group prayer is they're trying to encounter God. That's their attempt, they're trying to encounter. It was a group of people who are in awe of Jesus, who understood the power of his presence, all trying to encounter or be with God. Now, I've talked about this before, but like, I grew up sort of deer hunting, uh, like, I have some relatives that hunt, but like my immediate family, we didn't hunt. So like I grew up going, going hunting for years. Like we'd go and play games or we'd like, since I was like 10, like I'd be like together with family. Now I would say I'm going hunting every time. Now, did I actually plan to hunt a deer? Not a chance. Not a chance. Like the one time I was, I'm just like trying to cruise up in a jeep, look cool, like, and show up to the land, like, yeah, we're hunting. This is cool, you know. Like that's where I thought. Like so, the first year, like I had no gun, I had no license. Um, next year was like I had no idea how to like even like gut a deer. I had no knife to like do that if I needed to. I had very little interest in spending more than an hour out in the cold or waking up early. So like that wasn't really a factor either. Like obviously, I'm not out to get a deer and on and on and on, years and years and years, until it was like the, the year where I'm like preparing for it. I did the prep work, I studied, I showed up, I, I was with the right people, I had the right stuff, and I put the time in. And I didn't get one the, my first year, but year two, it happened, it happened. I, I actually got a deer. Now, that's the same with this situation. These people are going to an upper room, spending time in prayer and worshiping God, expecting to, an encounter, to encounter. When I was early on in hunting, I wasn't expecting to get a deer. But when I was like preparing, did all the work ahead of time, I'm expecting to get a deer, right? And that's what's happening in this situation. That's what's happening. They weren't just showing up. They were expecting to encounter God. Have you done that before in your prayer life? Have you waited for or been persistent to encounter instead of just showing up. If, you, if you've been in the church world for a while, maybe you've heard that God is omnipresent, is the word, which means he's everywhere. And then you maybe have heard or read how God dwells within you, meaning he lives within you when you choose to follow Jesus to guide you. It's the Holy Spirit, it guides you in your day-to-day life. But then there's one other component about it that sometimes gets missed, um, and it's when God manifests his presence. Now, I know manifest, it sounds kind of like a churchy word. It actually is a churchy word. It's also a really good TV show if you're interested in that too. Uh, but if you're looking for a new one, check that out. But manifest, what it means is this. It, it means readily perceived by the senses and especially by the sense of sight. But the verb of it, it says to make evident or certain by showing or displaying. It's a time where God is literally evident in you. He's moving through you. He's seen through you. The manifestation of God, it can come and go. And he uses his people, his followers. I know it sounds a bit out there, but think of the situation in Acts. They encounter God and his presence manifests in those people, as in people experience God through them speaking, through amazing ways. Has God ever done that for you? Have you, done, have you experienced that in your encounter with him? 1 Corinthians 12, 7, it says this, to each, of, uh, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. You will always have God's presence as a Christian, but the manifestation of God, it comes and it goes. Have you experienced it? Maybe a time where you prayed and you felt this urge to stand up for something. Maybe it's this time you you prayed and decided to help this person out, or you prayed and words just came out to describe something that you were unsure about, but you were able to describe it so well to that other person. Or a time you prayed and you had just this deep sense of peace or of knowing or whatever maybe it was for you. Maybe you haven't prayed and haven't experienced the manifestation of, of God's presence. If that's you, get in a group with others. Get in a group with others with intention to encounter, to have God move. It may not be the way you want to. Like, I got to experience God this way. It may not be what you want to, but we see in scripture when people are expectant to encounter God, they then do, especially when they're in groups and in prayer. The second thing that we can see in our passage, I think we can learn from on upper rooms in Acts, is it was separate, but it was inclusive. I got to explain this a little bit. This, this prayer time, it wasn't a church service. It wasn't for everyone. It was specifically for followers of Jesus. Again, non-followers of Jesus, they're not really expecting to encounter god right correct me if i'm wrong on that but like that's not really the the case of that situation but in church we love non-followers of god we love people that like are like not sure about god we want you here we want to grow with you we want to guide you in that but this situation was separate it wasn't a church service it was separate for followers of jesus but after that initial separation of followers of jesus Every follower of Jesus had an opportunity to be a part of this particular upper room. Every person had a seat at the table. Isn't that powerful to hear? Like how some ancient book and teaching, it's this inclusive book. How men, new converts, family, women, young, old, were all included to be a part of this upper room. That's powerful, right? Right? They weren't perfect followers, but every person has the opportunity to pray in groups and to encounter God. Are you doing that with your life? In your tough situations or times, you are worried. Do you invite others to maybe pray with you? Are you inclusive? For me, I, I, I struggle with this a little bit at times because I feel like I'm burdening people at times with like my, my like little stuff, right? Like when I say like, hey, you should pray for me about this. I'm like, oh, am I just like burdening you? Like to know that I, I really just want like help getting past this stressful moment. Like I feel like I'm burdening people. But scripture tells us to carry each other's burdens. Ephesians 6, it says, carry each other's burdens and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Have you ever opened your prayer needs to others, inclusive to all? Maybe you need to, to gather with others, to pray, which gets to our third point. It was to be with one mind of many, meaning pray collectively together as one. All about the same thing it's powerful to think right like instead of just one person praying speaking and praying it's 2 or 4 or 16 or 144 or exponentially more right I like to think of praying when you're in a group the concept of it and how you you reach God it's kind of like this is this is a weird Aaron thing it reminds me of a flash mob crew have you heard of those? Anybody, like, seen those before? Like, where, like, those flash mob crews, they, like, do this dancing. Uh, I'm going to show you a little example of it. You probably know what I'm talking about once you see it. Um, but check this one out and see if you can know how or think how it relates to prayer.
1: Hours? Unless you're in, like, the break group, maybe. to get down on the ground! Ah! Now! Ah! Get down, get down, get down! Touch the ground! Do what I say nobody gets hurt! This is what I train for. Yeah, I'm gonna start killing somebody every minute, unless... Unless you agree to marry me, Cheyenne. Hit it! Hey, what the... Oh! I'll
0: say, well... This is a silly example of like a a dance flash mob crew or whatever but it's actually a real thing if you go on YouTube you'll see tons of them. People do this to woo someone over before maybe a proposal or to kind of give them a special gift and it's a powerful and I'm sure expensive gift right to make happen but it's big right it's not just one person it's big it's multiple people it's big because others are involved. For God, I don't think he necessarily needs to be wooed over by, like, a dance crew or singing like that. But when more than one is involved, it's big. It's bigger. It's noticeable. Psalm 34, 17, it says, again, this is what we started with. When the righteous cry for help, the righteous people are crying for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. There's also numerous references in Scripture where numbers matter to God. He wants numbers. He wants groups. Have you done that with your needs? Have you designated a place where where there's a number of people that come to one mind to pray maybe about your family, to pray for your health, to pray for your business, or to pray for your next step? God doesn't want you to be alone. He wants you with others. This is why small groups are so important here at church even. We're not calling our small groups life groups. They're starting back up this September. We've got a ton of group leaders. You'll want to get in one. You'll hear it from stage here. Uh, but that's why the prayer that we do in groups is so important, and that's why prayer even on Sundays are so important. We're praying collectively together to kind of show God what our needs are, what we want to have happen. For you, when you think your personal family life or work life Are you praying with others in those areas for God to move? The last thing that we can see as an essential thing to an upper room experience is it left the upper room. Once they were in the upper room, it left. In our passage, people were together, they prayed to encounter with one mind, they received that manifest presence of God, and they have this gift to then speak another language to share who Jesus is. It's this amazing, powerful experience, right? but it does absolutely nothing if it doesn't leave the prayer time. If it doesn't leave the prayer time, if it doesn't go out and is spoken or visible or the life change, it just doesn't happen if no one leaves that room. What happened in this situation, speaking in another understandable language is the miraculous, right? This can get trippy for some people. I mean, the people at that time felt that way about it happening, right? They felt they were drunk. But what do you receive in prayers with others that has an utter purpose for those around you? That situation, there were tons of people that needed to hear in other languages. What's the thing you can maybe hear from God to speak to the people around you, to help the people around you? I think the gifting varies significantly, right? Sure, it could be tongues, but is that necessary for you right now? In this situation, that was the utter need for that community. But for you, is it maybe just giving you confidence? confidence to live out your faith at work. Maybe for you it's a feeling that you just need to be content in a certain season. Maybe it's a feeling that you just like feel you have to share this certain thing with someone. Maybe it's this change you you kind of like feel inside that you need to have happen between your family or your workplace. Maybe it's an action you need to act on. Where do you need to go to after encountering God? To leave the upper room? To do more for God? Again, these are the, this is from the passage in Acts, and we see that the intention of the upper room of these people was to encounter God. To, it was an inclusive time. It was praying with one mind, and it left the upper room. And when these things happened, the miraculous happened. Now, as I'm getting close to wrapping up here in our last few minutes, i got to pose the question to you. Was the actual location of the upper room that important? Honestly, I don't think so. I don't think so. Was the concept of praying with others in this manner important? I think absolutely. Praying with others, absolutely. When the praying happened in this way, we see God moves in powerful ways. After being a church for almost a year, we're coming up on one year, and it's pretty exciting. Let's clap for that. Like, that's pretty awesome, right? We're only a few weeks away. Two services coming up this fall. We got all kinds of like cool things happening over this next year. Um, But we're excited as we're coming up on one year anniversary. But after a year of being church, uh, I know a lot of you are wrestling with stuff, tough stuff, struggling marriages, loneliness, family dynamics, parenting issues, financial struggles, health issues, work, fulfillment struggles, unwell emotionally. If you're and anxiety about like our cultural climate even, have you prayed with others about it? Have you had an upper room experience where you pray for it with others? Right now, I, I'm going to have the, the host, like if, they, if you m- maybe missed one of those little slips, you got a slip and it looks like this. Uh, you got it when you came in. If not, maybe raise your hand and one of the hosts will grab it for you. They should be outside that front door. But there's three questions on it, and it says, where do you want to see God move? Who can you pray with? And what's your next step? These are just for you to answer, but I want you to start thinking about that. Where do you need to pray? Right now, maybe you you don't feel you're struggling with something. If that's you, remember how I talked about this is an offensive prayer. Like, what are things you want God to provide and do that would be offensive for you, as in preparing for the future? Sure, there's personal things, but for you, maybe you need an upper room with, other employees at work. Maybe for you, you need an upper room with a board or an organization you're a part of. Maybe you need an upper room with your family or an upper room with your church. What's something you feel you need to pray about and with what group? One special upper group experience that I had uh, uh, was right before I was marrying my wife, Sydney. Uh, it was the night before, uh, it it's like 10.30, 11 o'clock. I invited my friends, my family, and, like, my pastor at that time, and we prayed together about my marriage. Now, I didn't invite everybody. Like, I had a lot of people in my wedding party that weren't Christians. They weren't invited to that. But I invited my, my Christian friends, my, my people that kept me accountable, and we prayed for my marriage. We prayed for God to move through my marriage, to keep us together, to help us get through the tough times. And it was powerful. That was me. Where do you desire an upper room? Another example of an upper room I recently heard was with a family member. Um, and I was sharing about how I'm talking about upper rooms and speaking on like this concept. And she was sharing how she had an upper room experience with trying to have a child, actually. They were trying to have a child and they're just struggling, struggling, struggling. So they decided to kind of have an upper room moment as they're, they're thinking about this. So I'm gonna play this video. It's of low quality, but they share their concept of this upper room, how they prayed and how God moved. It's powerful. It's again, low quality as in like, it's not a great recording, but see if you can follow along with it. And during that time, listen in and think about your own responses to those questions. And then I'll close us out.
1: Hi, my name is Wendy Ackerman. 23 years ago, I was in a place of deep sadness, anger, and frustration. My husband Todd and I wanted to start a family and we had been trying for over two years. We had been to doctors, through testing and different procedures. And I knew that my strong desire to be a mom was from God. I felt that we had done everything right, so why was this so hard? In June of 1998, Todd, during a quiet time, felt convicted as he was reading James 5, verses 13 and 14. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. In late June of 1998, Todd suggested that we meet with our families, pastor, and small group that we had been meeting with, to have them pray over us. We met at Todd's parents' house and had a time of praise and fellowship. They prayed blessings over us and they cried out to God on our behalf and our future family. It was an incredibly powerful experience, and I knew that God was there. We left with an incredible feeling of peace, anticipation, and joy, and confidence. Nothing changed in our circumstances in the next year, but I was more at peace than I had been for the previous years. Almost to the date a year later, in June of 1999, we were approached by the parents of a 17-year-old girl in our youth group who had just found out that their daughter was pregnant. We knew this girl well as we were leaders in the high school group. They asked us to adopt the baby. On September 15th, 1999, our son Brody was born. It wasn't the plan or timing that we had, but it was perfect. Three years later, I received a call out of the blue from someone I had never met and didn't know, asking if we would be interested in adopting another baby. Another 17-year-old girl looking at adoption our daughter Jenna was born on June 6, 2003. God does hear our prayers, and he is faithful.
0: It's powerful to hear how God shows up, right, after an upper room experience. What's your upper room? What's your upper room? As I wrap up, I want you to know there are upper rooms praying for you right now, um, praying for you to maybe encounter God for the first time. There's there's people that are praying for, that know about this church and they're praying for you to maybe get plugged in and to serve and contribute and be a part of a church, be a part of a community. There's people that know about this church and they're praying for, for those considering their next step, like baptism or whatever it maybe is for you serving or whatever it maybe is. It's powerful to know that there's upper rooms praying for you, and it's powerful to know that upper rooms could do some amazing things in your own life as a wrap up today i want to invite you this wednesday we're actually going to have an upper room here at church um fall is going to be crazy here we're i think we're going to be packed it's going to be big it's going to be fun it's going to be all kinds of cool things um but we want to pray we want to make sure that god's presence is here on sundays that god's presence is here in this church so we're going to pray as an upper room uh here in this space at 5:30 on wednesday if that sounds something like you're interested in be a part of that. It'll be for 20 minutes, um, but you can check that out from 5.30 to the 5.50. Um, but uh, for, for you, I want you to start thinking, where is that upper room for you, and where do you need to spend time in prayer with God? I'm going to close this in prayer and have God kind of move in, in us and have uh, make, make it known what our upper room is and how we can move forward with it. Uh, if you want that in your own life, you can pray with me right now and ask for God to move that way in your own life. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, giving us just an example of how you move through groups of people. God, I just pray that you use each and every one of us to, to connect with others, to have this upper room experience of not necessarily being in a space, but to be with others and praying about where you want to things to move to, whether it's our organization to move towards you, or whether it's uh, our family to be more aligned with you, whether it's our marriage to survive through a a tough time and and move through you. God, we just pray that whatever it is for us, we pray that we can connect with this upper room, find a group that we can pray with, and then God, praying that, that you move through that, and we have this encounter with you, and it's this powerful moment that changes lives forever pray that that happens to each and every one of us, and I pray that you give us an idea of what maybe that is for each and every one of us. In your name we pray. Amen.